This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 464, a conversation with David Banks. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 464. It's our conversation with David Banks. Uh, now, I have to admit that um, I didn't know who David was uh, pre- previous to the Marvel Masterworks Forum, uh, kind of uh, shouting out suggestions of people I should definitely have on the show at some point. And one of these suggestions was David, and they kind of called him the uh, the godfather of comic book binding, which I was like, I don't know what that means. Uh, and I realized that there was a whole subsection of the Marvel Masterworks Forum that I had never really uh, gone towards um, on the Marvel Masterworks Forum, where I spend a lot of time with other enthusiasts of uh, comic books, but specifically collected editions. There's a whole uh, section about uncollected edition, uh, uncollected editions, the homegrown hardcovers binding forum, where people have basically talked about uh, bi- uh, custom bindings they've had of their books over the years. And I kind of learned a little bit more about this uh, this process. And also, David is one of these big guys who kind of really helps a lot of people put together their books. Uh, has a really big passion for comics, but also just binding and seeing what people have put together over the years. Um, so uh, David was um, nice enough to come on the show and talk about um, kind of his work with binding, how he kind of got into binding, uh, what comic, how comic book binding actually works for those who are, who are completely uninitiated and never even heard of this before. Um, it's really interesting. Um, again, I really appreciate uh, David taking the time to come on the show and talk about um, a real kind of passion of his and something he really enjoys talking about and doing. Um, now, the audio at the very beginning was a little uh, choppy, so it ended up, it's going to kind of jump right into the episode and kind of almost mid-story. Um, but uh, besides that, it's a, it's a great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And um, if you've never thought about comic book binding before, you might think about it now. And actually, there's some things, for example, um, the cross-gen books uh, back in the day. Those are books I think that would be great bound because there were some trades, but uh, they didn't collect the entire series, even a short-lived book like Negation. I think there's a few issues that were orphaned by that, but if you were to do kind of a custom bind, you'd be able to kind of put all those in one space. So I'm already kind of thinking about if I was to do binding, what kind of uh, projects I'd be looking at. So um, I think you're really going to dig this episode uh you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com like the show on facebook rate and review us on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and you can also listen to us on stitcher thanks and once again let's jump right into the conversation with david banks on snow days and things like that uh, my sons would have their friends over and they would just have a, a reading frenzy of all the different comics wow um and you know they they hold up a lot better as a book and um you know, there's just still something about the smell of newsprint that's nostalgic, and and uh, so you probably have already figured out that I'm um, I'm the uh, old man of comic book binding, um, <laughs> and I did they, it. That's why they call you the Godfather, <laughs> right? And uh, um, but I've I get to work with a variety of book binders who are wonderful, and then I have a couple of comic book partners that. Uh, we do projects together, and uh, and you know, as we talk tonight, I'll bring you up to speed on them. But um, I'm still amazed uh, um, how it, it still is, in some ways, a mature thing now because you can buy and sell your books on eBay. But in another way, we're still you know finding new people every day who are going, wait a minute, comic binding? Tell me about this. Well, Does I'm... it ruin the value of the comics? <laughs> Well, that depends on how you value them. Obviously, I wouldn't bind Action Comics number one, but I might.
scan it and then bind it into a book. <laughs> Absolutely. No, so. well, it's yeah. It, it, as I said um, off, off mic before, yeah. Like I, this is a whole new. This is a new rabbit hole I've discovered myself because uh, because of you know someone suggesting that we should have you on the show, and it's it's really interesting. But before we get into it, I guess we should dial it way back. And even before you started binding on your own, when did you first start reading comics? Oh, I've been reading comics probably since I was uh, seven or eight, and uh, I was hooked immediately. I started out with DC, um, and then shortly afterwards migrated to uh, Marvel. Um, I remember um, through the years key comics that I came across in the strangest of places like barber shops or you know beauty salons my mom would go to. <laughs> But, uh, um, and then, uh, being old now and, and having the disposable income and having your kids raised, I can go back and buy my childhood and revisit some of those things. And, and most of them have held up pretty well, but some of them have not. And, and here's why, um, I realized that when I was reading comics, in the the 60s and 70s and 80s and through the future. But in those early days, I realized I wasn't reading them because when I buy the masterworks and I reread those stories, Mm -hmm. I'm going, wow, this is a different story than I remember. Hmm. And I realized I was reading it just basically a few words here and there and didn't looking at the pictures. Absolutely. So... I, I discovered that my, myself. One of the first comics I ever remember reading was, I think it was uh, now now I can't remember. It's like adventure comics, like two hundred or something, and it was a, a Superman Flash kind of team up. That I remember my dad had. It was from nineteen sixty nine. It's very tattered, and I remember you know it was one of the few comics he ever had that around the house that he would let me read. And I read that thing till it fell apart. But it was this uh, mistaken identity. Basically, uh, Flash wakes up and he's in Superman's costume and he's confused. He doesn't remember who he is, and and vice versa. They both don't remember who they are, and they're in each other's costumes, and they're kind of going about their day. And I I reread it now because I've rebought for myself because it's a treasured memento something that my dad gave to me and he was never really a comic fan so it means something to me and uh, I read it and it's the same type of thing where I'm like this can't be the same story because it's so flimsy but at the time it just seemed so cool (laughs) yes exactly exactly Um, I remember reading the first uh, issue of the three issue series on uh, Galactus and the Silver Surfer back in like uh, FF48 and I read FF48, and it took me nearly 10 years to find FF49. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, I was a big Steranko fan, and um, I still am. But I, what I discovered is, it, it, later on is that uh, how much he used Will Eisner, how much he used different um, influences that I didn't recognize at the time. I just thought he was the coolest thing on earth. Mm-hmm. Him and Jack Kirby. So um, Now what what um I mean so you've you've kept reading throughout the years. What is it that kind of kept you engaged and kept you interested and in, cuz a lot of people do fall away from the hobby. Was there ever a period where you kind of gravitated away for a while and then came back like a boomerang or were you always kind of in it? Um, I've always I've always been in it and what's kept me in it is that comics have evolved. I don't read a lot of tights and capes. I couldn't tell you what Flashpoint was about or uh, the New 52, except for this to tell you that we bind those on a regular basis. 
But, you know, I'll read things like uh, Thief of Thieves and Fatal and um, and uh, Edison Rex and, and different things. And I find myself experimenting with a lot of comics because I have a tablet and comicology always has sales. And so instead of paying $20 for a trade paperback, they'll have things on sale for 4 or $5. And I said, well, for 4 or $5, that's like renting a movie. Mm-hmm. I might as well try something out. And I, I hate to tell my local comic book store, but uh, so far I've bought nearly 1,500 comics on my tablet. <laughs> but And they're, they're mostly discounted trade paperbacks. So, you know, I got to read all of Hickman's um, arc that led up to the destruction of the Marvel Universe and the ultimate... Marvel Universe, and I got to, to read a lot of different things that I probably wouldn't have bought in the store. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, I've I've read a couple things. I'll read the first issue, and then I make it a point to go into the store. So, for example, the latest thing I'm reading is Warren Ellis's and um, Phil Hester. They have a thing called Shipwreck. Yeah. And Warren Ellis is either, you know... Sometimes, most times he's on it for me. Sometimes he's so far in left field I can't read it. But for some reason, Shipwreck has caught my interest. And and then he works with a different artist, and he's doing a thing called Trees, and then he's doing another thing called Injection. So I'm not really reading superheroes anymore, uh, even though I have a fondness for them. And, um, well, for example, I'm still a big Daredevil fan. Uh, one of the comic book customers through the years has sent in Daredevil literally from issue one back in the 60s, and he keeps sending in a new volume every couple of years oh, wow. of present. And so I've gotten to read not only the things I read as a childhood when we're done binding his books, but also all the things by Mark Wade with art by Chris Sammy and things like that. And I'm a big art fan and, uh, and a... And a and I would say a story fan second, but boy, I'll tell you what, that, that to me is still very enjoyable superheroes. Um, um, Mark Waits run on uh, Daredevil. Do you, think um, of, do you think part of it for that particular book was the sense of levity that a lot of superhero books try to be so serious these days and don't kind of have that sense of whimsy and fun? And he was able to tell serious stories, but also have kind of a, a whimsy to it. And, and Somni's artwork was able to kind of thread that line between, again, seriousness and also kind of a throwback nature. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he has a vast history of the industry and and what has gone before. I mean, the writer that's come after him, Charles Sewell, um, is an excellent writer. I love his uh, Letter 44 and uh, 27. He's got a, a, a series called 27. Mm-hmm. And, and Charles Sewell still uh, tells a great story, too. But you're right. Mark Wade has that. He straddled between whimsy and seriousness and, and made it really seem real. Uh, in my mind, made superheroes seem real. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I think you have to, um, as you're helping people with their comic books, you have to be a fan of comics also. Otherwise, um, you don't have the sensitivity to some things or you don't realize when some things are out of place. I, I'm always surprised when a stack of comics come in and they're out of order mm. or they've... they've uh, They've put something in the wrong place, and you know, 
I'm always happy to send an email to them and say, is this what you really wanted or, or <laughs> should you do this instead? Because, you know, it, it's disappointing. I mean, people put these things together uh, to read in a certain order and, and things like that. And there's nothing worse for a comic book collector if it's not perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it has to be perfect or they're not happy. <laughs> I want to ask a question. Uh, go out. This is a bit of a tangent, but uh, you you mentioned shipwreck before, so I've been picking that up, but I haven't actually had a chance to sit down and read it yet. Will I, is it a it's a good read? Yes, it is, and uh, it, it's. Uh, I wouldn't say it was typical Warren Ellis, but it's the thing that he he tells a great story, and he and Phil Hester's a great artist, and he tells a great story, but he throws in all these. Um, embellishments that uh, you have to be very careful as you're reading it or you'll miss them the first time through. And it's just, uh, it just seems so um, satisfying. I mean, I tell you what, he, he just did an arc for Dynamite on, uh, on uh, James Bond. And I thought his first six issues that he wrote for a James Bond series would have made a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, but there again, you know, you know, five years from now, my taste may change. I mean, I'm really getting into a lot of different things that Charles Sewell is doing. Mm-hmm. And I was stunned to know he was, I met him at a convention one time, and I was stunned to realize that he was actually doing superheroes and things like that, because I knew him from Letter 44. And, uh, you know, very interesting man. I, I say young man, but all you guys are young men to me. <laughs> so it's, it's funny how you mentioned how taste changed because I find recently I feel like I'm started going in a, in a weirder, not a weirder direction, but almost like I feel like a lot of people they start off sometimes with the funny animal comics and then they progress to superheroes and then eventually evolve like your tastes have. And I found that I've started actually I never really I kind of missed that um, that funny animal stage. So I've started picking up now that I, I think it's IDW is doing all the the Walt Disney books that I'm starting to pick up those ostensibly for my son because he's three and a half and I'm like oh he'll need comics to read that are you know that are you know bright and colorful and with these you know familiar Disney characters. But I found my really enjoying them myself and it's kind of funny that I kind of by that step years ago and now I'm kind of going back to it yeah I'd have to agree with you and, and I'm a grandparent now and I've got a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and um, uh, I was lucky enough to see Paul Jenkins at a, a convention within the last year or so and he uh, signed a book for my oldest grandson uh, fictioneer I think it is where it's all these different uh, nursery rhymes or nursery stories or fairy tales, but but all these things are crime scenes. So why did Humpty Dumpty fall off the wall and things like that? And uh, oh wow, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, I can send you a, a, a link to it, but it, it's really cool. When my grandson's over, he brings that book with him and he's reading it at breakfast, <laughs> and he'll read it at lunch if we'll let him read it at lunch. You know, during, at the table. And uh, I remember reading comics at the table when I was growing up, and I just think that's a, a cool tradition. But, uh, you know, Paul Jenkins, who's done some great superhero work, has uh, really came up with this great all-ages book that I thought was hilarious. I mean, some of the jokes went over my grandson's head. 
but uh, but it, it entertained him too. And you know, if you think about it, these kids are growing up with all these different uh, distractions between phones and cable with all the the multitude of choices that they can watch and things like that mm-hmm. and to get somebody to actually sit and read you know a good comic is is awesome to carry on the tradition so absolutely it's something special uh once in a while i actually i got my nephew to i think it was like a, Di- a marvel digest version of a power pack wolverine miniseries or something but he was like oh <laughs> wolverine's in this so he sat down and he just read through the entire thing Makes me laugh about it though. Is my three and a half year old? Whenever he sees that book, he just assumes that it's a, that it's his cousin's book. And I'm like, no, no, this is this is Daddy's book. You can read it. He's like, no, no, I can't. It's his book. <laughs> just because he saw him read it one day. Mm-hmm. So what? When? So you mentioned that you've been binding since you know you said it's what seventy eight, seventy nine. That's correct. Since nineteen seventy nine. So what? What led up to that decision? What led you to do that? Because I mean, that's that's pretty early to start kind of doing this type of stuff well um, actually not uh, no no what I found was is that I discovered that the publishers DC Marvel uh, the other publishers that have gone out of business like um, Lev Gleason's books and the the old mainline books of Kirby uh, did um, with uh, Joe Simon um, they would bind their comics for file copies for the office and I came across some of those um, in the early 70s, and I, it just made my head explode of the possibilities. And so um, uh, while I was in college, I went in the military first, and then I got out of the military and I went to college. Um, I met a local bookbinder in Omaha, Nebraska, and they did a non-comic project for me, and then from then on, they they were binding all my comic books um, for me. And, uh, you know, some of the things that they've bound in the early years, I've had, I've recollected and rehad bound just for aesthetics or something was out of order or whatever. You know, it's interesting. I always say that most people that have their comics bound don't actually read them. <laughs> and I'm guilty of it too because I've discovered just two years ago I discovered a book I had bound in the early 80s I had two issues out of order oh no all these years and I never knew it <laughs> how did that happen well you know it's probably sloppiness as far as me getting them to the bindery mm-hmm. or whatever I mean it's not that terrible to fix it but but uh you know, things like that happen. So, so, so when you uh, start binding these books in this in the seventies, so obviously, as you mentioned, you know, comics in your eyes are meant to be read and enjoyed, not filed away, not you know, as a collector's item or that kind of stuff. Um, did you? I mean, did did you have friends who were like reading comics as well, who were kind of taken aback by what you were doing? Or oh, I was I was an outcast in a lot of ways. People uh, the. the People of my kids' age were thrilled. People my age were just like, are you kidding? You know, uh, <laughs> they just couldn't believe it. And if you brought one in and showed it to them, they practically chased you out of the store. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, they, and this was, you know, and this was back in the days before there was really um, comic book shops per se. I mean, I started buying comics in Omaha when I came to Omaha at a flea market, which then the guy moved to a store, which then he 
that which wasn't really a store and then he finally moved to an official store over the years and uh, um, yeah I mean they they treated them like they were gold and um, uh, I was kind of an outcast so for many years I didn't tell anybody about it but then the internet came along <laughs> and I was teaching myself for work purposes I was teaching myself how to do websites and so I started posting, I started a little site, I was posting pictures of my books and, and did that for four or five years. And then in the early uh, 2000s, I, when uh, these message boards came online and things like that, I started putting out the word that I could help people buying their comics. And it was met with great, great resistance. And mm. I, I mean, I even had, you know, through the years, I've had some people say that they would track me down and kill me Jesus. for destroying uh, comics. And I've got a couple of good stories about that. But um, in 2002, or late 2001, early 2002, I was having breakfast with uh, the bookbinders at um, a Capital Bindery in Omaha, Nebraska. And I said, I wanted to represent you guys with the comic book community. And I said, what would happen is people would send me their books and I'll bring them to you and, and help you, you know, make sure they're in the right order and stuff. And then I would pick up the books from you and I'd send them back to the customer. And they said, sure, fine. And then 11 months passed before somebody actually trusted us enough to send their comics in. And that was, uh, uh, I think, our first order came in in two, December of 2002. Do you remember what it was? Um, no. No, no, I, I do. And, I, and uh, the guy's name was on my tongue, uh, tip of my tongue, but uh, I might remember it later in the conversation. But no, I, I don't remember what it was. Um, I just remember that... Uh, I was just so excited, and then somebody else sent two books in. And what what's, what slowly grew is that every week I would go down to the bindery on Saturday and have breakfast. I would drop off the new orders, and I would pick up the finished orders. And then I would rush home, and I would take pictures of everything. And then I would box everything up carefully, and I'd run to the post office on Saturday before it closed so the stuff could start going back to the owners and then I'd go back on Sunday to my house and I would clean up the images and I would get them posted that weekend. And I found out years later that there was people visiting my site every week just to see the latest pictures oh, wow. of bound books. And I've got a library of probably fifteen or 16,000 finished uh, comic book binding projects Wow! that I carefully shot and then clean, you know, drew a path around the book, dropped out the background and things like that. And uh, uh, I did that for 10 years for Capital uh, Bindery. And in November of uh, 2012, um, I stopped doing it. And, and by that time, there was competitors, which was great because by that time, there was other book binderies doing it. By that time, people were buying and selling books on eBay. 
I felt like, wow, I've done my job. <laughs> and, and the cool thing was, and, and unexpectedly, um, a year later, a young man named Tim Benson got a hold of me and told me that he was doing the same thing that I had been doing for many years, which was working with, uh, he would take people's comics and work with a book binder to get them bound, and then he would return them to him. So we started doing uh, projects together, um, and we we fumbled around for a while. We did some video episodes of different things, and then we went to conventions and and tried some different things. And then slowly but surely, uh, Tim came up with the idea of doing Omaha Bound, and. Uh, there's, oh, Tim has a company called Omaha Bound Entertainment. It's an umbrella company. And what we do now is we work with comic book creators. We still work with regular individuals, and they send their books in. In fact, I was doing scans tonight for six different books. Oh, wow. But, but we also work with comic book creators who um, will want multiple sets of their books uh, bound up so that they can resell them to their fans, you know, with with uh, sketches and things like that. And so we're currently working on a project with Matt Kent, who did Mind Management. Mm-hmm. We're doing, working on a project with Phil Hester, where uh, we've collected all the wretch stories that he did over a twenty year period, oh, wow. and we well, we put them all into an omnibus. I had I got the privilege of working on. Uh, he trusted us with his original art, and I got the, the privilege of scanning all of his art and assembling uh, the omnibus. I'm working on an artist edition right now for Phil, also of the Wretch. Um, and then we're in the early stages of. We have some proposals with Stan Sakai to bind multiple sets of. Uh, uh, you know, he, he has done Usagi Yojimbo over the years. Mm-hmm. There was a period of time where Mirage, the same guys who did Turtles, Mirage was publishing it. So 16 issues were in color. And so he still has sets of those in color. Uh, they've since been reprinted in black and white, but he has these color sets. And so we've, uh, we've prepared a proposal book to show him how he can turn those sets into unique additions also so in addition to doing the onesies and twosies we're now working on doing things um, that the comic book creators themselves can then turn around and, and share with their fans wow now how did how did that process kind of come about that you're actually working with the pros to kind of work on their own projects like that's phenomenal but how did that how do you even kind of make those connections how do you make those those pr- well, proposals I, happen I, well, I wish I could tell you we were brilliant and smart, but for many years, uh, the pros would just reach out to me, um, just like any other individual would, and said, could you bind uh, comics? So, for example, for some writers, we would bind uh, a run of their comics into a book, as well as in the back have the scripts for each issue. Hmm. Um and the more recently, in working with Tim Benson at Omaha Bound Entertainment, um, Tim has these ideas of well, we could do this and we could do that to, uh, you know, as far as 
bookbinding is concerned, and um, he he deserves the credit as far as the latest batch of people we work with, working with uh, Phil Hester, working with Matt Kent. Um, he has other proposals out there. Um, he just. I would just say he's a younger version of me, and he's got better ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's uh, uh, he's just thinking about the different ways I, of doing things. So um, another project he's got in the works is uh, for I can't say the name yet, but um, uh, an art a, a writer who writes very popular Marvel comics um, in his early days was doing horror fiction, not comics, but just regular fiction. Well, Tim is collecting um, all those uh, short stories into one book, but then having comic book artists do a single illustration per story to include into the book. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, and it's very cool. So I'm helping with the um, designing of um, the wraparound cover and then the, the dust jacket for that too. Um, but the, the cool thing, I always think that it's great to do something on your own, but I think collaboration, uh, you come up with something so much better, you collaborate with the bookbinder, you collaborate with you know, myself collaborating with Tim. Uh, we have other people in the we call it the Omaha Tribe, but the, the people who are interested in many of the, the same things as far as making their own comics or binding their own comics. Um, you know, Omaha's fortunate to have, you know, a group of people right here. You know, similar to what's up in, in Minneapolis, they have a great group of people there, too. Uh, we... Tim's idea, and he persuaded um, Stan Sakai to come to Omaha, as well as other people to come in for a a three-day event. On Friday night, last September, we had a a gallery exhibit, and then Saturday we had an all-day symposium with six different sessions, and then on Sunday we had a meet-and-greet with the public, and I was fortunate enough to videotape uh, the whole thing, and uh, I've been slowly editing those segments uh, down to something more watchable. But the the whole thought of that is not just um, like a comic book fe- convention. It was more like an educational um, short course all in one day. And essentially, if you came to that, from start to finish, you would learn every step of the way how to do comics, and then the great Stan Sakai uh, wrapped it up with a keynote speech, um, and and he was drawing on the fly as far as, far as on the big pieces of paper while he was talking. It was riveting. Wow. It was fascinating. I've watched that video over and over again because he's just fluid as far as talking at the same time he's drawing and explaining in detail. And so... Um, Part of what Omaha Bound is doing, too, is, is giving back to the community. And then eventually we will have, um, for lack of a better word, a co-op. But the whole purpose of the, of the co-op will be to help people um, 
get their stuff out into the real world, their intellectual property out. So if somebody just wants to make a comic, we can help you do that. If they want to do a trade paperback or an artist edition, you know, we, we supply the skill level to do that. And we do that, um, you know, as a co-op, not as a for-profit organization. Mm-hmm. So the next big project for Omaha Bound uh, Entertainment is this coming in this August. Uh, every year for the last several years, Phil Hester has done the, the he's called it the 96 Kirby's, the 97 Kirby's, the 98 Kirby's, the 99 Kirby's. Well, this year is Jack Kirby's 100th birthday, and we're going to, Omaha Bound is going to help Phil Hester pull out the stops as far as doing the 100 Kirby's. And what that is, is that uh, Phil and, uh, and two or three inkers uh, help him draw this year, a hundred different Jack Kirby characters, and they're um, sold um, with all the benefits going to the um, Hero Initiative. Nice. And so we have some big goals as far as getting uh, a large chunk of money over to the Hero Initiative to take care of the things that they take care of, such as aging creators and, and so on and so forth. I mean, I every time I hear one of that uh, it just breaks my heart when you hear the people that you grew up reading and stuff like that one by one are you know falling by the wayside or having tough times mm-hmm. and, uh, so it's it's nice to see organizations like that give back and also some of the proceeds will go to help um, uh, the um, organization that Jack Kirby's granddaughter has started in order to do good things within the comic book community. Mm-hmm. I know you get this, I know you get this question all the time. Um, I'm sure, which is you know what are the the weirdest collections that you've had bound, etc. But I'm going to go a slightly different tack then, uh, which is what's the most common collection you think that you've you've seen over the years that people want collected into or bound. Well, I can tell you, most people send in their first collection is Alpha Flight one through twenty eight. John Byrne over and over and over again and we know all the idiosyncrasies because because those comics were not well manufactured and so uh, but the weirdest set we've ever done in my opinion was a set from the 50s called Howdy Doody okay <laughs> you, remember, you remember the Howdy Doody puppet that mm-hmm. yeah so uh, I was really surprised. I didn't realize there were Western comic books from the 50s, but we've done a lot of Western comic books. Um, I didn't realize uh, all the different romance titles. I, the, the beauty of still doing this is to this day, I still get to see stuff I've never seen before, whether it's fairly recent or very old. Um, that's the that's one of the great things for me is I get to see stuff. I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note to look at that when it comes off the assembly line. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that was delayed a day getting into the shipping. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh darn! <laughs> that's too funny. Um, well, I guess that's a nice perk, right? You get to see all this stuff that you would maybe never even know it existed otherwise, or just wouldn't have had a chance to read. Exactly. And the other thing that's cool for me is that somebody, and on a regular basis, will come up with an idea 
on how to organize a set of comics or what to do for a set of comics that I hadn't thought of. And I was like, oh, I'm stealing this one. Uh, and, and so there's several people I really like uh, collaborating with and doing books for them because they, they come up with these great ideas and, and I can execute, but I would never have thought to do uh, some of the arranged things. Like I remember uh, doing a 12-volume set of Deadpool for a guy named Travis Fowler. And he um, he knew what he wanted, and uh, I can I can send you the uh, examples of the art. But uh, uh, each cover, um, I mean, if you looked at the twelve covers together, you'd go, "Whoa!" A lot of work went into that. But you know, it was a formula that he came up with, and, and it was awesome to do. And the other thing that he came up with, and he he's got a couple of great stories too. Um, he was one of the first people to bind a series called Miracle Man before it was ever reprinted. Okay. And some of those issues are very expensive. Um, and uh, he had a story, this, this is probably six, seven years ago now, maybe eight. We, bind, we bound the volume for him. Um, he decided he was going to get engaged. He put the volume up on eBay to see what it would bring. And two people got into a bidding war, and the thing went for just over $2,000. Holy crap. And the buyer was a guy named Brian K. Vaughn. That oh. sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess Brian decided he was going to have that book no matter what. Wow, that's well. First of all, that's like that's that's amazing for the guy selling it. Uh, right. Just unbelievable. But I guess yeah, I, I guess they're that hard to find altogether like that. So yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, but there's been uh, uh, other people who <clears throat> seem to have a little bit more money than the average person, and uh, I've seen some amazing things come in. Uh, to, to bind so like the first 25 issues of X-Men from the 60s wow beautiful condition and you know we carefully bound it carefully trimmed it and uh, you know things like that uh, uh, I was I would always be nervous when some of the comics came in because I would go oh my god I, this guy wants us to do Avengers 1 through 100 wow uh, say are you sure you know and I wouldn't say they were meant by any means but still it was a nice nice collection in good shape um, but uh, I just um, I just feel privileged that I've gotten to see a lot of stuff that I never would have seen otherwise and I've been privileged to work on helping people create custom covers or custom dust jackets in addition to putting them together. I, uh, my current bindery I work with on what I call prototype books is a, a small bindery in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's called Signature Bindery. Uh, the, the book binder is Kevin Oliver. I love going down and talking to Kevin about the latest project I have, but I love even more because he will take the time to show me his latest, coolest project. And one time I was in there, and it was a first printing of some Shakespeare stuff from 1623. Whoa. Whoa. 
indeed. And I was getting to flip through that and to see the typesetting and then to see the appendix, which listed all the errors they made in setting the type. And I mean, there was many, many pages of listing all the errors that were in the main body of the book. Really? Wow. That's how, that's how they would do it. They wouldn't fix the errors. They would have this appendix that told you what the errors were and what it should have been. Huh. Yeah, it's a crazy thing. And so I, that's a treat in itself to go down and see what the latest, um, uh, uh, I don't know how to put it, just, you know, thing that you would never get to see otherwise. I got to see, um, Yellow, what's the movie Yellow Brick Road was in? Wizard of Oz? Wizard of Oz. I got to see the very first printing of the Wizard of Oz story. And this was, he had, it was, this book was itself valued at $100,000. Wow. It's just doing some maintenance on it to, because, you know, they tend to crumble over time. He was doing light maintenance on it uh, in order to uh, extend its life. Uh, but I could, I could go on for hours and hours getting to see different things. You know, the, the main thing that I was really surprised to see is that I realized that I had gaps in my co- uh, comic book reading. For some reason, there, there are certain comics I missed out. Um, just I don't understand why I would miss like I missed out on 15 consecutive issues of Fantastic Four and I can't tell you what I was doing in my life at that time when they were coming out <laughs> but then to come across those and go wait a minute where did those come from I don't remember those so <laughs> I have a lot of fun I'll tell you that's awesome now can you can you walk us through a little bit? I mean, we've talked about the binding process, but like, how does it actually work, or what does it actually look like? Because I mean, it's it, it feels like an abstract kind of thing. We talk about it, we kind of have an idea what the, what it looks like afterwards, but what really goes into it? Okay. For those who are thinking about you know, or who are getting more interested, or hearing you talk about, it or getting interested to the idea of doing it, like, what does it actually entail? What does it actually look like uh, when you guys actually do the binding? Okay. Um. First of all, you have to decide what you're going to bind. And so you have a stack of comics, and most people bind, like, say, 15 to 25 issues in consecutive order. So that means we turn that stack of comics into a book block. It becomes a solid block of paper, and it can become a solid block of paper either by oversewing it, which is sewing through the side, or smice sewing it, which is sewing through the spine, or double-fan adhesive, which is slightly shaving off part of the spine and then gluing it. And double-fan adhesive is is how a lot of uh, uh, general market books are produced. And the, the you would say that the in the past the glue would be flimsy, but these days the glue is is like concrete; you can't break it. You would tear the paper before you would tear the glue away from the paper. So you, you take the book block and you join it with a cover. And the cover can be a standard um, hardcover with uh, a rounded spine. And it could have uh, text on the spine and text on the cover. 
or a stamp on the cover, such as a logo or an illustration. And then, or it could be as fancy as a wraparound graphic cover. Um, and uh, that graphic cover could either be a hard cover or it could be a soft cover like a trade paperback. But essentially, you're turning your stack of comics into a book block, and then you're joining it with the cover of your choice. Hmm. From there, you know, the, there's all unlimited choices that you can do. You can add a, a book ribbon, for example, or you could add a head and tail bands, or you could add custom end sheets that have illustrations on them front and back, as opposed to just being blank paper front and back. Um, you could have pockets in, in the front or back to, like some comics will have an ash can edition or some comic series. And so we'll create a custom pocket so you can slip that into the book and it'll be with the rest of the issues. Hmm. Um, you, the, I could talk for hours about the different ways and, and that's the beauty of having all those pictures because I can show you different pictures on, on how to do it simple or how to do it complex. Um, and I can tell you what series we recommend uh, to do certain ways. For example, if you were a fan of Brian Bendis's Powers series, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the Overso method destroys what he's trying to do. But if you do the Smyso or, or Center So method where you're sewing through the spine, you have no gutter loss and you don't lose any of the art that goes into the gutter because... The artist in that series does a lot of illustrations that go across two pages, and uh, and he does a lot of text across pages, whether it's for his uh, creator-owned series or even his superhero series that he's done over the years. He, he has a lot of things going into the gutter. Mm, so the true. advantage of being a comic fan is we can say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't want to do that because this is what will happen. You'll lose something. And as opposed to just sending it to somebody who hasn't read the comics before. And so I, I feel like if anything I do is I help give advice to prevent uh, dissatisfaction. Mm. That, that's the bottom line. I, like I said, I'm not the bookbinder, but I'm a fan like most of the people are fans when they send their books in. And, and the creators are fans of the things that they do for themselves as well as other people. You'd be surprised that at what a, a comic book creator, uh, how they read uh, everybody else's stuff and how they have collections of everybody else's stuff. Um, uh, and they'll say things like, oh, I, I collect Generation X, but only this artist, not this other artist, because I want that thing. Yeah, so they're fans themselves. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, a question. As obviously in the last, I would say, 10, 15 years, uh, when collected editions became a bigger thing, um, how do you th how has that impacted how people bind or what they end up binding? Now that a lot of stuff does end up get, getting traded in some way or put into hardcovers, and there's more popular omnibuses, etc., has that kind of changed what people end up binding, or like have you noticed any changes in the trends? Oh yeah, in fact, I would say that the the hobby of binding your comics owes a big thank you to Marvel and DC and the other organizations who now put out their own collected editions. 
But on the other hand, the fans get upset if there's inconsistencies. And so what has happened is that if they don't agree with Marvel's way of assembling a collection, then they will, uh, they will then have their own collection made and then ask us to mimic the trade dress so that it fits right in on the shelf with everything else that they bought from Marvel. Hmm. And we can do that with dust jackets where we can mimic the way they do it. And then, and then the publishers have been inconsistent from time to time over the years where uh, they haven't used the same logos or, they, or they've changed the font or whatever, and people will ask us to help uh, make it more uniform, either by recreating a book from scratch or by creating a dust jacket, which then they can wrap around. They can, they can either replace the dust jacket that the publisher had or they can wrap around a book that doesn't necessarily have a dust jacket, but at least on the shelf then will look consistent. Um, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's actually a really cool idea. <laughs> and then a lot of publishers will publish uh, a certain number of trades and then they don't publish anymore, but the series still had some more to go. Mm. And so what we get asked to do is to then finish out the series by mimicking what the publisher had done. Um, Were there some Alpha Flight classics in there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You'd be surprised. Um, and then there's the, the, the people who get upset when they leave out particular issues. Um, like, for example, the... Uh, the Daredevil collector who wants 1 through 25, 26 through 50, whatever, mm-hmm. if he gets to the Bendis run, for example, um, the way Marvel has collected that, they've left out certain uh, comics. Sometimes it's just one issue, or sometimes it's like five issues in a row. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that second volume of Daredevil, there was a whole arc by uh, Bob Gale that never got collected. Exactly. Like it uh, never happened. Like it's frustrating if you, yeah, if you were trying to do all the trades and the like that Marvel actually published, you would never be able to get those stories. Right. Right. So, um, so in in a way, it's helped, and in, in a way, the the hobby actually helps the collector of those items um, um, help keep things more consistent. So that's that's what I've seen. Um, Tim has worked uh, with uh, various customers where uh, a whole slew of books have come out, and for some reason, like the middle two books are entirely different as far as what the spine looks like than the rest of them. And so, you know, they, they Tim, uh, through his company, offers uh, replacement dust jackets that help uniform that so for some people don't like the way um the frank miller things came out uh and they wanted a more omnibus looking thing than what came out with the frank miller daredevils and so yeah just by doing doing that they they help the collector have something more uniform so uh, i would say that it works hand in hand i i i still I love the collections. Uh, I've tried them all out. Uh, I thought I would be a big omnibus fan, but the books are just too heavy. So I'm more of a, 
I would rather have like multiple hardcovers like the Masterworks than mm-hmm. than one omnibus. But that's his personal taste. True. The omnibuses are, I mean, at least with the lighter paper, like the thinner paper now, they're not quite as heavy and as unwieldy as they used to be because those original volumes were like you, 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 you couldn't just put it on your leg. Like you, that would hurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can't stick it in your briefcase and take it on a trip or anything either. No, definitely not. Well, no. <laughs> and through the years when I was still working, um, I would take uh, Masterworks with me and uh, always strike up great conversations with people. I never had anybody on a plane or any trip I was on go, ooh, what's that? They were always, like, curious, and you would tell them, and they were, like, amazed, and I remember that, and uh, it was always a great conversation starter. Well, there's just something with those masterworks, too. I mean, typically, masterworks are more classic-looking material, uh, where people would remember from like when they were younger, or has the idea of what a comic book is probably matches what's in a masterworks as opposed to a modern comic. True, true. It kind of it, it it triggers those senses of oh yeah, I remember when I used to go to the barber shop and I used to see those comics. Yeah, exactly. Brings you right back there. We've uh, uh, you know we used to one of the things we've had to educate customers is that as comics become better manufactured, the individual issues, the paper and the ink they've used is much heavier than the new sprint days. Mm. And so if you would put 25 issues in a book of news, when it had newsprint comics, it wouldn't be a big deal, but I can't recommend you do 25 issues of something modern with it. where just, it's so heavy it's trying to fall away from the cover itself. It, the gravity is helping it tear itself away. Mm. So I always recommend you have to put less issues into a book if it's more modern. More modern. Like for example, the 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 things I was working on tonight, um, a four volume set of Flashpoint. Um, the the issues, the number of issues per book run from fifteen to seventeen, and they still feel heavy still feel heavy really wow do you know what i'm talking about as far as the way the the book block is joined with the cover Mm -hmm. gravity is is helping tear that away from the cover um if you put too much in there interesting no matter how well manufactured it is it's going to fall apart like that just through gravity unless you lay it and the the Purists in the bookbinding world, the people that actually make the books, will tell you that books aren't supposed to be standing up. They're supposed to be laying down on their sides. Really? Yes. Huh. And I'm like, you're kidding. And he goes, no, like I'm some savage for not knowing that. But <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Because that's not, not, that's not what anyone does. <laughs> That's not what anyone does in the United States, but mm. it, but over overseas, many people will have some standing, but most laying on their sides on their bookshelves. So, wow, well, I, I learned something new. I didn't never never thought of it that way. Now, here's the cool thing that we've gotten to do over the years is that we deal with many people around the world. I've sent books to Hong Kong, Australia, the UK the Netherlands, lots of stuff to Canada, lots of stuff. Um, And uh, 
I think that that's awesome too because I like the I like the idea of all these books going out into the world, and somebody someplace will will come across that book. You know, like if you had a collection of them and eventually you got old and your estate went out into the world, people would be like, "Where did this come from?" It's like a time capsule that was rediscovered. <laughs> that's um, cool. No question. So when you have them coming from all over the world, do you sometimes get you know the you know the UK reprints like that kind of stuff as well? Like you know those are the comics that they had, those are the comics they have, and the- yeah, and that's stuff I haven't seen before, and that stuff's amazing. How the different slight differences of different ways that the original Marvel stories were reprinted. You know, a lot of uh, one series that we've bound several times uh, had brand new covers created by American artists. Uh, for the reprints in the UK, and and then it was interesting to see most of those were reprinted in black and white, and how much better the art looked um, in those than in like the essential lines that were uh, published for a while by Marvel and the showcase lines that were published by DC, mm-hmm. and you know different source material and. Um, um, there's a local artist here who does a lot of uh, comic recreations. Uh, his name is Bruce McCorkendale, and he was telling me that a lot of the essentials, they didn't have good source material. So a lot of the artwork, when they converted it to black and white, was being re-inked by modern artists. Really? And so, wow. Yes. I, I, and so, you know, you things uh, don't match up with the comics because they were re-inked. I mean, it's still the same story and things like that, but they had to re-ink it in order to give it a little oomph to make it printable. You know, to have a, a sharp enough black line and things like that. Makes sense when you think about it. Sure. Just, I wouldn't have thought of it, but yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Now, where where can people get in touch with you, and how do they, you know, get their books to you? Um, they can get to uh, us two different ways. Um, right now, um, there was an organization called Comic Book Binding Pro uh, that has closed their doors because the owner is moving to Japan. And they were working very closely with a book bindery called Haushin Bindery out of Utica, Nebraska. And Haushin Bindery asked if I would step in and help out by filling the role of Comic Book Binding Pro for a while. Uh, you know, to make things seamless. Um, so currently people send me books at singleboundstudios.com. Uh, there's a Tumblr page there with uh, basic information on the process, pricing, and then um, how uh, two different addresses to send me the books. Uh, other people with this change have been sending books directly to Haushin Bindery, and you can reach them at haushenbindery.com, and they have instructions for uh, comic book customers on how to to send their things in. And then if you have a special project, um, like we're doing for Matt Kent or Phil Hester, uh, you can reach either Tim or me through Omaha Bound uh, Entertainment. And there's uh, omahaboundentertainment.com. One thing I do love about your uh, the Single Bound Studios um, website is uh, all the all the designs and, and mock-ups that you have there. It's, it's just incredible looking at some of the designs for the covers. Thank you. 
those are the most recent ones. I have a, a personal library of over a thousand different covers that I've done since 2008, um, and I have about 250 different dust jackets that I've done since then. And uh, uh, I just some of it's a rehash, but you know most of it, uh, like I said, the the customer will come up with an idea I hadn't thought of before and. And uh, we collaborate, and we, we come up with something fun. Um, I was showing off a little bit on the site there, showing before and afters. We get a lot of requests that say, I want the picture from issue one, but I don't want the UPC symbol. I don't want the price. Can you take this or that off? So I have some examples on there on, on before and afters on how, to, on how things can be removed and repurposed. No, well, it looks amazing. I was looking at a bunch of those today, and it was just like, I mean, I'm I'm a very low tech guy, I guess, and I just whenever I look at that kind of stuff, I'm just like, I don't even know how you do it. It looks great, like it looks fantastic. <laughs> well, great. I appreciate the compliment. Um, I would suggest that uh, if you are looking for new interview ideas, that you maybe you get Tim Benson uh, for an interview, and he can tell you about the different things he's doing for the comic book community. Um, through Omaha Bound Entertainment. He brings a different flavor to it, um, and I think your uh, audience would find it interesting. Absolutely, yeah. I think I would definitely take you up with that and try and reach out to him over the next coming months Coming months to uh, see if we can get him on the show as well. Cool. What other questions can I answer for you? Uh, you know, I'll probably kick myself, because at the moment I can't think of anything else, but uh, I'm sure I'll come up with something in about five minutes, and I'll, I'll kick myself then. <laughs> But uh, uh, here's a, uh, here's something for you that you probably didn't expect. Uh, sometimes when people send a set of comics in, they're missing an issue. And I have a source here in town called Krypton Comics uh, that I go to, and they've only I've only stumped them once in all the years I've gone to look for a back issue to fill in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that was for a series called uh, Aztec Ace. <laughs> They didn't have a particular issue. <laughs> do you even know what Aztec Ace is? I don't believe I do, no. No, that was a series published by Eclipse Comics. Okay. And um, essentially it was a, a time traveler who, uh, for some reason, uh, made his base of operations in uh, ancient Aztec civilization. So... It was a fascinating series. The same guy who did Master of Kung Fu, the writer, did that uh, series as the writer. Really? Okay, well, that's really interesting. No, I, I've never heard of that book ever. Yeah. I guess that uh, must be the fun part of your job, right? I, when you when you come across this stuff, is that kind of weird stuff that you've never seen before. Like, I, I, I always get thrilled when I find something I didn't know before or a comic I've never seen. So I guess you get to experience that all the time. Well, yes. In fact, you know, two years ago, Tim Benson turned me on to a series called The Wretch, and he just, the name didn't do anything for me. So he gave me a couple trade paperbacks, and I was like, this is amazing stuff. And then I realized it wasn't even everything. And so slowly but surely, it evolved into a project where we would put everything into one big omnibus. And, you know, Phil Hester is a modest guy. He will tell you that it wasn't planned that way, but this stuff holds up. You know, this stuff ranges on a 20-year basis, and it holds up from the very first story to the very last story. 
thing is the evolution of the art because the character that he drew becomes more and more simplistic. It doesn't have as many doodads in his costume and things like that. And it, it almost becomes, the character almost becomes an icon. So, hmm. yeah, great wow. stuff. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And, uh, like, I, I'm definitely, again, I, I just recently discovered, like, really what this was all about. And I'm already kind of thinking about things that I might want to get bound in the future. And especially the idea of replacement dust jackets is really interesting. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking about all this. You're welcome. And if you uh, email me your address, I'll send you a sample book. Because I, I always have a box of samples to send to people who are on the fence. So... Uh, I would absolutely. I will absolutely do that. I will send you something shortly. Okay, sounds great. Good talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and maybe we'll have you back on at some point in the future. Talk about other ongoing new projects you'll have. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care now. Take care.